Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Allison Park Leadership Podcast. Uh, as always, we're so glad you've, you've joined us. Um, my name is Dave. And my name is Jeff, and we're really glad you've joined us for this episode. Absolutely. Okay, we can start up with some fun today. I don't usually get this kind of intro from Jeff, but he said, today I want to talk about one of my pet peeves. <laughs> so why don't you start us off? What, and this is about preaching. We're going to be talking, or not even necessarily so much preaching, but messages preached in churches, conveyed to churches and, and congregations. Yeah. So, so every every pastor probably has a design on how they approach their own preaching, their own preaching, teaching on the weekends, right? So uh, there's a there's a method behind what you do, even if you haven't thought it out, even if you don't know what it is, you probably have something. And if you are attending a church, you may not necessarily even know what the approach is that your pastor is taking to the preaching preaching on the weekends. But if you think about it, basically, when we filter through some of this discussion, you'll probably be able to see some trends in the church that you attend. But I'll tell you my biggest pet peeve, okay? <laughs> so when it comes to preaching, and I'm listening to the preaching, here's my biggest pet peeve. And this is going to sound almost ridiculous. But what my biggest pet peeve is when I'm listening to a pastor and he reads a, a passage from the Bible, and then he doesn't preach it. Then he then jumps from there and talks about, I shouldn't say he, he or she, then jumps <laughs> from there and talks about whatever it is that they wanted to say. And they just sort of use the Bible as a way to get the message started. And they don't really ever address what's there. And I think sometimes it's a pet peeve of mine because I think, boy, I love that verse. I can't wait to hear what they're going to say about that. There's so much great truth packed in there. And then they never get back around. It's almost like they showed me the prize. They said, look, here's the verse I'm going to describe. And then they never go back there. And I'm like, I really wanted to hear what that story was about, what that verse was. And so there is such, it's such a basic idea, but I think, Preachers and pastors should preach the Bible. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we, we were having a conversation about this. Uh, I think that probably with our movement, this tends to be more of a problem. Um, is is that are you preaching the Bible? We're we're going to talk in a little bit about a balance um, that typically most churches tend to be pretty hard on one side or the other. Um, I guess you what, what did you call it? Preaching the Bible or well, okay, so so I think there's two two polar opposites when it comes to um, how we plan and design a church service experience for people's spiritual development. There is on the one side the experiential, and there's the other side, which is what we'll call expository. And expository is a fancy word for taking the Bible as it is written, verse by verse, and teaching what it says. Okay, so in our movement, you know, we're a part of. Uh, a movement that was started in early 1900s that is what you would call Pentecostal charismatic. And so we believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit. And up until the time when this movement was started, everything was basically expository. So you basically went verse by verse and you saw life as contained within the text of Scripture. But what was missing was the now spontaneous explosions of the Holy Spirit. And when the Pentecostal charismatic movement was birthed, there came spontaneous, inspired, Holy Spirit-prompted words of prophecy, insight, encouragement. And there was a bit of a renewal that came with the energy of the spontaneous experiential moving of, of God. And so the experience side, if you're experiential in your church experience, that means that you are 
probably sensing the move of the, the spirit. You're leaving feeling like something just happened in the room. Um, you're being asked to make decisions for God. And as you do, there's breakthroughs that happen in your life. Um, often that kind of moment is, 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 is very emotional and emotive. It's, it, it makes it feel like you're alive. It's not dead. And in no way do I want to move away from the now spontaneous inspired promptings of the Holy Spirit when we come together and worship. I think that's a, a very um, valued part of my personal approach to life and ministry. So that's one side of it. Yeah, and we can, we can pause there for a second, because I think if you're listening to this podcast and you're from Allison Park Church or from a church that's in our movement, that might sound, well, oh, yeah, that's like what church is supposed to be. But, you know, I think for a large part of America, there's sort of a different value more on, you could say, the expository side. Yeah, exactly. And the expository side is where you take the Bible for what it says, and you go verse by verse through. So you go, you start Galatians 1.1, and you go all the way through the first chapter of Galatians, and you teach it in context, historically accurate, applied for today. And you go and you pull the principles out, and you learn um, what, uh, an old-fashioned, the full counsel of God, right? You get a good <laughs> picture of the historical meanings of Christianity in context, properly applied, accurate, and when that happens, that's also very powerful, right? Because the Word of God has a transformative effect. It, it, when accompanied with faith, has the ability to change how we think, our worldview. It makes us better. It improves us. It grows us. It births faith in us. So many great things happen when we expose ourselves to God's Word. And so expository teaching is very powerful, too. Yeah, so, but, but talk about this for a second. Because I think that some people might need to have the difference clarified. A lot of times you have one without the other, or at least you have a lot of one and a tiny bit of the other. Right. What, what does that look like in either context where you have experiential without, you know, expository or textual teaching or vice versa? Yeah. Okay. So I almost fell into this trap as a young pastor of a Pentecostal charismatic church. So you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now the new pastor at Allison Park Church 29 years ago. I'm 27 years old. I have to figure out what to preach every weekend. For the first time in my life, I'm preaching every seven days. And so what do I speak on? Well, one possibility is that I spoke on things that inspired me. So I would, I would sort of wait and think, what am I inspired by? What verse? And then I would get up and I would preach what I would call out of the themes of my life. Or I would could, preach, this is referred to as topical sometimes, right? Yeah, it's topical. It's thematic. I would, I would tend to go towards what excited me that week or what I felt like people needed to hear. And sometimes I needed to challenge my church. But the, the weakness of this is a couple of things. One, as a, as a speaker, I was always searching for the next wave of inspiration. And some weeks it didn't show up. Mm. <laughs> and so it would be like Saturday night. <laughs> Saturday night, I'm waiting to be inspired by a thought. and No thought would show up. And then I felt totally lost because- Which I is the most was, awful feeling in the world, isn't it? It is so panicky. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so sometimes, you know, I would, I would end up grasping for what am I going to say this week? And I was, by the way, preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. So I had to be inspired a lot <laughs> to get that much content out. And the other side of it is everybody has their themes. If you are left to your emotional uh, tendencies, you, you, will you will teach on the themes that you like to talk about. And so you will end up going into the same spaces over and over again. And what your people will hear is they'll hear a lot of content around the themes that you're mm -hmm. excited about. But they may never hear content 
about things that they need to hear about that you may never be inspired to talk about. And so what it ends up with is, I, I won't say it creates a shallowness. Oh, no, it does, though. That's probably the exact word for it, don't you think? Well, it, it's probably depth in selective areas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? But so, shallowness everywhere else. <laughs> you have shallow everywhere else. In certain areas, you know a whole lot. Like you're an expert on these topics and you know nothing else about the rest of it. And the other weakness is then we never really train our people who are hearing us teach how to handle the Bible for themselves. Mm, all, all they know is how to handle the, the word when it comes to them preached with a lot of inspiration, a lot of emotion. And so they resonate with you as you talk to them. But when they get into their devotional life, they don't know what it is to take the Bible and handle it in context because they haven't seen that as an example in the way the pastor's been teaching and preaching. That's good. Yeah. And I think so many times you find these little clips online of really good nuggets. Now, I'm not going to specifically name any church or speakers, but you know, sometimes it's like, this is a really good teaching, a really good phrase, but it doesn't really give you a whole lot of here's how you can interpret or read the Bible for yourself, which is actually the strength of the expository side. So can you talk to us about what that side would look like whenever it's maybe lacking some of the experiential? Because I think you sort of briefly touched on it, but yeah. So, so here's actually, here's how I solved the problem of waiting for inspiration every week to be able to preach. And that is I found some preachers who were not from my tribe Mm. And I started to listen to them teach through books of the Bible. And I was like, boy, if I teach through Nehemiah, I will have material for the next two months. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I need because I don't want to feel panicked all the time. So honestly, I started preaching expository less because I had value on what it would do for my people and more because I had value on what it would do for me <laughs> because I needed something to give me routine in terms of my communication. But what I discovered when I started to preach expositorily is that people started to feel the impact of the consistent build. So you learn Nehemiah 1 and then you come back and you learn Nehemiah 2 and everything you heard in week 1 builds on what you hear in week 2 and then week 3. And by the end, you feel like, wow, I have a grasp now of some his history of the Old Testament where Nehemiah falls and how that applies to my life. And then if you get consistent expository preaching over a period of years, you really start to, as a listener, as a hearer, uh, gain a good perspective of things. Now, if all you get is that, and no one ever gives you a now word, because sometimes Nehemiah 1 doesn't speak to the crisis that I'm in right now, and I may need the Holy Spirit to give me a now word, a prophetic word for the moment that I'm in, because it's a timely thing. It's a, it's a divine appointment moment. And there would be some moments, even as a young preacher, when I was going through Nehemiah or, you know, whatever it is, Matthew, uh, Philippians, where I felt like the Holy Spirit said, set aside your message for this week in Philippians. And, and I want you to specifically speak this inspired prophetic message because there's something about the moment and the people that are going to be gathered that needs to be imparted. And so we can try to systematize God in expository preaching where we say everything about what we need to know is going to be, you know, kind of filtered through this liturgy that we're going to establish. And we're going to, we're going to preach based upon, you know, what has been laid out in the calendar. And no matter what the Holy Spirit says or what's going on in the country or what people need to hear right now, we're sticking to our system. And that's just going to be enough for people. And if you get trapped by your schedule or your system, you might miss 
some very now experiential moments that God wants to supersede the schedule to be able to bring some type of impartation of life. It's almost two different philosophies of discipleship when you talk about it, because on the one side, you're really teaching and training and educating people on how to handle the word of God, which is our lifeline, you know, um, Martin Luther had the had the the phrase sola scriptura, which means you know, uh, you know, only scripture is how we how we have our doctrine. And so you have the the one side that's that's very much doing discipleship by teaching and training and educating, so that people know a lot more about God. And I guess the hope is that by them understanding and knowing um, and learning about God, they develop a passion for God. And I think on the other side, it's almost like we want people to experience the presence of God and have their passion stoked and fueled and really experience God. And hopefully that experience with God drives them to learn more about God. But sometimes you have a disconnect in the middle. Yeah, that's true. Uh, But if you look at the historic church, you know, it's interesting. So as much as I believe in expository preaching and in the power of the Bible— I've been listening a lot and reading some stuff from Andy Stanley, and he talks about how for the first several hundred years, the first 300 years of history of the church, they had no Bible, New Testament anyway, to preach from. And so the centerpiece of their faith was not a text. It was an event, right? It wasn't the Bible text that was the center. It was the resurrection of Jesus. And the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus brought power and experience so that the early church was experiencing the very now presence and moving of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's actually where the priority is. Mm. But now that we also have the teachings of the New Testament, you know, the Acts chapter 2 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. And they and every day they were filled with awe as there were miraculous signs and wonders that were done by the apostles. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So the, clearly there was there was the mix of these two things. It was good, solid teaching that comes out of the writings of what we now call the New Testament and the experiential power of God as we believe in the resurrected resurrected Christ and we follow the very now leading of the Holy Spirit. I don't think them, they're, they're actually opposite. It's actually two ingredients that have to be present for you to be doing effective New Testament Christianity. If you're missing the experiential, you're dead, If you're missing expository, then you might be imbalanced or you might just be, you just might be emotional. You might be leading a Christian life that's experiential based on hype because there are some hype churches that just want to get you worked up and simulate an experience with God. But it might not necessarily be any more than just going through the motions of what we would call Pentecostal liturgy. So there's there's a Pentecostal liturgy, too, where you go through something and you expect certain things to happen experientially. And if that doesn't happen, it feels like, well, why didn't we do what we're supposed to do here? Yeah, but there is a mix of those two things that I think have to be present to be effective. Yeah. And I, I think so to me, one of the things that's been a real passion of mine, especially recently, I've been doing some reading and studying on this, is just how powerful and necessary it is for us to have an understanding of what's actually in the Bible. And I I know that you're talking about the third century Christians, so they didn't have a church based around the text. But since we have the advantage of that now, and we can really dig in and gain a more of an appreciation or understanding of God and what he's supposed to do in our lives, man, I feel like it gives so much more context and depth and maturity to a person's life. Like one of the things that I think I'm concerned about for 
my generation and the generation below below us is that it's so easy to just get fed off those little mini words or nuggets or things that you might see in an Instagram clip or, you know, on social media or whatever without really having enough full context of, you know, where our, okay. So, so for example, I know that this is a common criticism. We don't have to go into this whole thing, but I know that a lot of people talk about the problem with the American church is that everything is about having your, your, the best life you can right now. And, you know, like, just like having your problems solved and fixed. And there's a lot more to it than that. Um, and I think part of that might be a symptom of people not actually reading their own Bibles or developing their own faith. So, man, I, I know that with us being in the, in the Pentecostal stream, tribe, whatever you want to say, our, our you know movements bent is probably typically a little more experiential. Can you talk about how you have attempted to teach and train people that are under you that are learning and being discipled by you to develop their own faith, to read their own Bibles to, does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, okay. So I, first, why, here's why, why is my pet peeve when people don't preach the Bible? Let's go there. Hmm. So, so for instance, we'll go on a very easy verse, Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If I read that verse and I then jump from there to all the things God's done in my life. And I tell you a bunch of great stories and, and, and then I get real hyped up. God can do it in you. Come on, repeat it after me. God can do it in you. Like if we, if we just go to stories and hype and excitement, and I don't pause to say, let's look at this verse. I actually did some recent study in this particular verse, and there's actually four key words here. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so here, here's what it basically could be retranslated. Anything is possible because of the active present there actually is a Greek word that means active and present mm. operation of, of the, the strength that God imparts to me. So all things, everything is possible because of the active present operation of the strength of God in me. Now, that didn't take a lot for me to, to actually describe. And anybody, no matter your communication skill level, can actually take the Bible and break it down and tell you what it means. And at the end of learning what that means, then I can apply it to you. But if I just take the time to tell you, read the Bible and tell you what it actually says, slow it down, break it down, break it into bite-sized pieces, put it in your mouth, so to speak, and then tell you how it means something to me and how it will apply. It's just so effective. You know, I was in Israel a couple of years ago and our guides, we had two guides. We had a Christian guide and a Jewish guide. And the Jewish guide who doesn't believe in the New Testament was asked to talk about what Jesus taught in the synagogue in Capernaum. And he pulled out Luke chapter four and he read through the passage and he told me what it meant. And I thought that is better preaching right there from a person <laughs> who's not even a Christian because they actually told me just what the text was. And I left thinking that was awesome. And all he did was just take his time to slow it down and tell me where were they? What, what was this like? What did they do in synagogues? What did Jesus say? Why was this revolutionary? By the end of his talk, I was like, man, that was great. If I could teach pastors how to just preach the Bible, like to slow it down and tell me what it means, how to apply it, give me insight into it. Tell me things I didn't know about it before. Um, and, and then teach me how I can study it for myself that way. That's what's so transformative. And I just think the Bible's got life in it. 
if you break it open and declare it, it has life in it. And if I just tell you my own thoughts and ideas, you might be interesting. I might actually like you and I might be curious about things you're saying, but it won't change me like, like the word of God does. Yeah. So it's just so much better to preach what's in the Bible, but most pastors struggle to be disciplined, to stick to the text. Mm. They feel like they have to go into something creative. Or, oh, I heard this illustration, or, you know, this would be a great example. And so they just don't spend enough time letting the text cook in their own hearts or in the way that they deliver the message. Yeah, I think I think it's, it is work because it's, it's like almost like we're excavating. You know, you, it's an, there, there's so much about it that is ancient. You're, you're reading from a Jewish mindset, from a probably Jewish author um, from thousands of years ago. And so like taking the time to like, you know, slowly dust things off and, you know, you know, dig out the edges and here's what the author was saying. And here's the Jewish mindset and why it was revolutionary for them. And, you know, here's the timeless principle and here's how it can be applied to our life. I mean, there's a lot there. So I think it feels like some mental work to actually have to dig that far um, and maybe even some people would wonder where the resources are for that. Um, and then it feels like it might be boring. You know, I mean, sometimes it's like, well, do people even really want to hear this? I think when I first started preaching, one of the things that you really, you know, grilled me on was like, most of your time should be in the text day. You're like, you know, don't think of all these funny stories and really good illustrations. And because I think that's where a lot of people tend to go. It's like, okay, here's what the verse says. Illustration one. Then there's an application illustration too. And it's like, he spent 45 seconds just reading a verse and then you're putting all this entertainment, but actually like it's, it's in the excavation process of the actual word that the power comes out of. Yeah. And, and okay. It is true that you can do all this in a very boring way. You can be boring. <laughs> We're not saying I'm not, I'm not being pro boring. I'm not saying just stick to the text and boringly deliver it, but here's where it, here's where the excitement comes from. If you are excited about what you discovered in your excavation and you're like, oh, I can't wait till you see this. This is just so amazing. Like, okay, here's one. Uh, Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Another translation says, they that hope in the Lord. And I remember thinking, well, what exactly does that mean? Wait, wait in the Lord will renew that. I need some strength right now. What am I supposed to just like wait in a waiting room? I mean, just going to sit around and wait for God to do something. And so I went into the Greek and it doesn't really take a lot to find a, a lexicon where you can understand a word in its original Hebrew meaning. And I discovered this word is the word quava, wait, and it means to tie into. And so the picture that I got in my mind is someone who harnesses to something. And, and I instantly saw the image of our, our amusement park here in Pittsburgh called Kennywood Park, where you harness into this thing, they, they hoist you up and you, you are hoisted real high, and then they pull the lever, and you swing down, and your weight is carried by the harness. So the quava is being tied into, and say you'll mount up on wings like eagles. So if I tie into the Lord, and I trust him, and I put my whole weight into him, then he'll cause me to soar through life, because he's carrying me, not myself. And when I discovered quava, I was like, that's amazing. And so if I'm excited about what the word says and I convey that to you, it's not boring. It's like sharing the joy of discovery with people. 
Like I just uncovered something. I can't wait to tell you guys this. This is incredible. Mm. If you're like, no, in Isaiah 40 verse 31, we read like, if you can <laughs> make it boring if you want, you can make anything boring or you can also make it exciting, but staying with the text. If you, most people, they, they're, they're, they're less excited about the text than they are about their own humorous story. They're going to tell mm. about what happened to them that, that will help them relate to people. They get really excited about their own story and very animated and they're back and forth across the platform and then when they read the bible you would think they were reading from some ancient history book that had no relevance to their life i think it should be the other way calm down on your own story but get passionate about the scripture yeah. like show your animation around how exciting the truth is that you just discovered and that's what makes people engage with it yeah i think it, it seems like sometimes preachers feel pressure and i even have too where you're like, all right, just got to get through the text really quick. I don't want to lose my audience. Like, this is the boring part. So I got to just say this and then move on to the exciting stuff. But that that can that can possibly be a mistake to just skim well, it that quickly. And I mean, this is going to sound cruel, but most of us like talking about ourselves more than we like talking about the Bible. <laughs> I mean, it's true. We just like to tell our own stories because we want to be funny and humorous. They're going to love this. And you know, this is another one of my pet thieves is people who tell illustrations in their sermon that has nothing to do with the text or the topic <laughs> because they want to get started to have you laugh. And you could do that every once in a while, but what a waste of time that is. Like for me, I feel like, man, I, it was great, but could you have just skipped ahead to the topic? Because mm. I love you, pastor, but I'm not really here just to hear your stories. I really want you to feed me something that I can take away. And then I actually think if you teach the word of God with passion and you lead to a place, not just of discovery, but where something has transformed you about that particular verse. And at the end of the message, you can actually get people to choose to believe what you've just taught them. That's when it goes from expository to experiential. Now you take the Holy spirit and you speak forth with power and prophetic authority, what you've just taught them out of the context of the scripture and now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit gets involved and they, cause now here's what happens in ex expository only churches. Sometimes they get to the end of the message and they say, now we're done. Amen. Bless you. Have a, have a great week. But our, our style of ministry is at the end of a good expository message. We say, now that you've heard this, let's act on it. Yeah. Come yeah. forward, lift up your hands. Let's declare. I trust you, God. I'm tied into you now. Carry me. I want to soar like wings, like eagles. Um, your, your, your spirit is active and present in me. I can do anything's possible. So let's declare God. So we then get people involved in, in activating what they've heard, which takes them out of just the text and into a Holy Spirit encounter with the truth they've just heard, which is, I think, really the secret of transformative ministry. I love it. Okay, but let, let's zoom out and refocus for a second, because part of what we're talking about is, is probably the preachers. And if you are someone that's regularly responsibly, uh, responsible to communicate the Word of God, everything we've said is probably for you. But you were just going into clava and all this stuff. You're like, it's really not that hard to find the Greek. It's probably really difficult for the majority of people to find that, or at least to know where to start looking for resources. Because if you just Google, it might bring up who knows what. Um, so I have a couple of things that came to my mind, but I would love to have you expand on, on where to look. Um, if you are someone who is either wanting to really study the Bible more in depth, or if you're a preacher, it's not as hard as like, I have to go to some kind of Christian library and find, you know, based on the Dewey Decimal System, the commentary, <laughs> you know, 
you know, the Strong's commentary on this and go in and find the actual Greek. And I have to have studied enough of these languages, you know, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, in order to understand. It's not like that anymore. Um, two programs that are not free but are incredible. Uh, one I use all the time um, is so Accordance is one for Mac. There's another one called Logos or Logos. I'm not sure you say it for uh, for Windows. Um, those, you know, you pay a, a certain flat fee at the front. Um, comes with, you know, tons of commentaries and Greek and Hebrew lexicons, which use hover over a word. It'll show you the meaning. That's kind of the main way that I do it. But Jeff, like for people that are listening to this, you know, for, for whatever reason, they're like, I would love to be able to dig in more for myself. Um, what would you recommend they could do? Yeah. So, I mean, okay. Very simple thing. So many people use on their phone, um, the version app. Okay. The Bible app on your phone and it's free. And there are um, what, 30 different English translations and one way is that you look up a verse and then you look it up in another translation and then you look it up in another translation until you get a fuller picture just from reading the different English translations on the same verse. But in the Uversion app, there actually is a translation called the NET, mm. New English Translation. And if you look on your app and the New English Translation, it actually will have some call out buttons on certain words that if you press it, it automatically pulls up for you right there in the text what the meaning of that word is. There you go. And so if you just read in the NET on you version, you'll get a lot. Or if you just type in to your search bar, strongsconcordance.com, the concordance is actually the tool that helps you define words. So you look up a word in Strong's concordance and you'll find what the meaning is. It's as simple as that, honestly. Yeah. And that's the level of Greek and Hebrew I have. Okay, I yeah. never studied Greek or Hebrew in seminary or Bible college. I just use the basic tools that are available to anybody to find meanings of words and backgrounds. And then, and then another thing would be to get a good study Bible. So the Full Life Study Bible, NIV Study Bible, there's probably others of them out there, which when you start reading a particular book of the Bible at the very beginning of that book, there's a description of who the author was and what the circumstances of the writing is. So you just do a little background work before you start to read the book of Philippians. And then that gives you a little bit of perspective. And a lot of study Bibles have notes at the bottom that correspond to various verses, which amplify for you what exactly is being said. And so it does require for you to have a, a little bit of a archaeological skill set, right? Yeah, you got, yeah. like you said, you got to learn how to excavate for yourself, but the tools are so readily available that anybody can, can really do this. That's great. And you know, quick shameless plug, if you are really, really wanting to get into this, one option would be to, to join our Allison Park Leadership Academy, yeah, uh, right. where we give, you know, intensive training on exactly how to, to excavate um, scripture, to, to read it for all that it's worth. Um, because there really is so much in there. I, I had two quick thoughts. I, I think one of my pet peeves is the misconception that the word of God can be whatever it means to me when I read it. Because so many people, I think, and it's not, I don't think it's out of a bad part. It's just sometimes maybe out of ignorance or not necessarily knowing, but there is an actual true meaning that whoever wrote that book had for their audience that we can then take a principle that is so packed with power. I think we, it actually gets the word of God cheapened a little bit whenever it's just like, Oh, this is how I interpret it in my life, but it might not even necessarily be that it's just like a cheaper version of that. You know? well, sometimes what happens is if, if pastors approach preaching that way, 
because sometimes they they will make a verse mean what they want it to mean mm. rather than what it actually meant. Yeah. So you can misapply verses all the time if you're not careful. And you have to ask the question, what did it mean when it was written to the people it was written to? What's the timeless principle that applies to everybody at all times? And therefore, what does it mean to me now? Yeah. And you have to go through that filter to get to accuracy. Mm. And I have seen some people take verses and pull them out and take a little phrase. And I think to myself, that is not what that meant. <laughs> Don't you hate that? I, I, I mean, and I think this is probably comes from it with us being a profession where we're constantly having to study and preach and try to refine. But it's so frustrating when you see that. You're like, yeah. that is not at all what that verse is saying, even kind of. Yeah. And you may actually be saying something that is overall biblically true. Right but you've said it from a place in the scripture that it doesn't belong. And you do disservice to especially new believers who don't know how to handle the Bible yet, because they start to think that I can just pick it out here and do whatever I want to do with it. And if it's misapplied, it has no punch. When applied properly, it brings transformation to your life. Mm-hmm. And and so I know now we're kind of you know, off of like necessarily how it should be done in churches as far as preaching the Bible. But since we're on the topic of maybe how you can take the Bible, especially if you're not in ministry and learn more from yourself. Um, yeah. I, I well, think- and a great, a great technique that we use or we teach on this is the whole soap journaling thing. Yeah. Great. Right. So, so go through the four, Dave, the, the soap. Okay. Process. So S O A P. So you have scripture, which means you read it and you cross that bridge. Like you were saying, you start in what did this originally mean? Uh, then like, what's the principle that applies to everybody, not just in their culture, how do I apply to myself? Okay. So you have scripture observation where you make those observations about it. Oh, here's what it's saying. Um, usually it means reading this a second time. Scripture is reading through it once observation, read through it second times, make sometimes even little, make little notes in your Bible or in a notebook or on your phone application. What do I now have to do with this for it to actually change my life? Um, and then you, you know, write down maybe some action steps and then prayer. You actually pray about it. God, would you use this first impact? me personally or my yeah. community or my world. Yeah. And so you can just on one page do a, uh, um, a good study on the, on the, on the Bible. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You write that verse out. That's the scripture. Then observation. What did this mean when Paul was saying it? Where was he? You know, for instance, that verse in particular, Paul was writing from a prison cell. So he was confined and he was in a difficult place. And he says, anything is possible for me. So, wow, that's, that's a that's an interesting thing to have that kind of faith, right? So, and then what does it mean now for me, where I am today? A application, you write some things God is saying to you based on the scripture, and then you write a prayer out at the end. And if you did that every day, you would become an effective Bible student. Yes. You would be doing the basic work of, of excavation. And if preachers took 10 minutes and did soap, <laughs> and they just preach one word, one verse. Here's what it meant. Here's what it means for us. Let's pray. They actually could have a powerful preaching ministry. Absolutely. Just by staying with that kind of discipline. I think even one thing that we forgot to mention would be usually it's even best just to read the whole chapter too. Like if you're, if you're going to soap one verse, a lot of times read the full, cause you're talking about Paul writing from prison. Well, what does the rest of the chapter say? So, so like pretty much every time it's radically enhanced. Uh, or even possibly changed of the meaning when you see the the fuller picture. Um, So 
Yeah. yeah and, you know, the, the Bible is an ancient book. It is. It's filled with a lot of history. You actually have to study culture. You have to study different types of literature. It is work. It is work. I mean, if you're going to really be a Bible student and get something, but here's, here's why we do it. It's breathed by God. The Holy Spirit mm-hmm. inspired it. And when you read it, it breathes into us. And so, so it's not like any, it's not like reading an encyclopedia of Christian history. It's a place where God can speak to you. And so sometimes I've been in situations, man, and I, I'm, I'm like really down and I need, I need some type of hope. And I do the excavation work that comes with Bible study. And then out of that, God speaks to me something. It gives me clarity and it changes my whole world. And so the hard work pays off because of the benefit that comes with the breathing of the word of God into your life. Yeah. And it's one way that we build a relationship. I think the last thing that's on my mind to say about this is, you know, studying the Bible really is sort of an acquired taste um, in the sense that like, you know, when I first had coffee, it was the most disgusting thing in the world to me. I hated, hated coffee. You know, now I have like right beside me, my Chemex, (laughs) you know, my, uh, gooseneck kettle and all that. Like I have lots of stuff. <laughs> I got really into coffee. Um, I used to hate it. I mean, I remember like my first year of college, uh, me and my best friend did like the black coffee challenge where we'd go pour a little cup of coffee and like a shot. And we were like, all right, so you can drink this the first without, you know what I mean? Like it was so nasty. I mean, we were also drinking bad coffee, so that didn't help. Um, but as I drank it more, you know, from needing the caffeine or to wake up or just trying Starbucks drinks, um, I slowly began to like it more until now I, I drink it black um, because because I, 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 you know, just had more of it. I was exposed to more of it. I think that studying the Bible, man, sometimes you said encyclopedia, that is the perfect description for how it feels to so many people. It's like, oh, do I really have to become a student of the Bible? Like, I, man, I was never that much of a school person. I don't love reading. You know, I'm not sure this is me. But the more you actually do that's a, such a simple method that you can do in 10 minutes soap where you read a verse or a chapter and you go through that. The more you do that, it will revolutionize your faith uh, journey with Jesus. The Bible will come alive to you. It'll give you stability, um, you know, specific words from God, you know, that for your situation come alive. So I, I just, man, out of almost everything I can recommend for someone who wants to get closer to Jesus, becoming a real student of the word is, you know, it tops the list. And I think this is part of what we do as pastors is we are the coffee aficionados. Not the baristas. We're the ones who we, we say, Oh, you got to come over. I got this new brew. You can, you're never going to imagine. And then you say, look, you got to taste this. And when you do, I want you to hold it in your mouth for a minute and see if you can taste it. And then you got to taste this with chocolate. It's, it's mm-hmm. incredible. And, and Oh, if you haven't tried this yet. And so, you know, most of us have been influenced probably especially when it comes to coffee, but maybe when it comes to fandom of a sports team, yeah, particular style of dress or the way you wear your hair or music, probably at some point you came across a raving fan and a raving fan got you into a particular taste. And then you bought the gear and the tools and you learned how to fish and you went out and you learned how to fly fish. And now you're like, fly fishing is my life, you know? So the same thing is true. If you come into a church with a passionate pastor, who loves the word before long, you'll have the tools of the French press and, you know, the specialty coffee maker and you become like somebody, but, but instead of it, just enjoying a good cup of coffee, you now are encountering something that will change your life, 
will change your family, will change your marriage, will change future generations, will change people's eternities. You'll know the creator of the universe. It, it can't even be compared to good coffee. I mean, it becomes really something that is worth so much more than we can even put a measure on. Man, and, and if that's not the best advertisement for pastors taking preaching by studying and excavating the word of God seriously, I don't know what it is. Because, man, if we're only preaching to get a message across to change, you know, to, to influence somebody right now, to give them hope for today, but not actually training on studying the Bible, we're missing such a huge part of really what it means to be a mature Christian. Yeah. Um, so, what, so something that comes to my mind, if you're like, okay, I, I want to try soap, give me something else easy. I don't know if you've seen these, Jeff, but there are these videos uh, from this this team. I think it's called the Bible Project, and they're little five or six minute cartoons, almost. They're, they're these animated style that will do crazy depth explanation of a book of the Bible in like six minutes or nine minutes. Unbelievable! I think they're on YouTube um, or like right now media. I know Austin Park Church has a subscription to that, but even if you could check out the Bible Project, project if you want to just start to see. What does it look like? You know, I've always been curious about why the heck the book of Leviticus is in the Bible. You know, if you go and just watch this, it does an unbelievably like clear, fast, in-depth description that shows you what you might have been missing if you've never learned how to read the Bible before now. So Yeah, and, and you know, and really simple. This may be seem like a no-brainer, but go to somebody you feel like is spiritually mature or ahead of you and ask them the question, What's the favorite thing that you like to do about studying the Bible? Mm. What's the tools you use? What tips could you give me? Because people around you who you know have grown that way, they'll be able to share with you some of the stuff like you just said, Dave. There's probably way more tools out there than what we even recognize. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess if you take one thing out of this, uh, especially if you tend to be in the charismatic movement, become a student of the Bible um, especially if you're a preacher, you, it's part of your job to disciple those under you to read the Bible for all that's worth, because that is the life source that we have as Christians or one of the main ones anyway, probably the main one. So any closing thoughts before we finish? Um, yeah, I just think, I just hope that what we can do is just make it simple. You know, especially if you're a pastor, um, it's, it's preaching is not as hard as sometimes we make it. It's not about being impressive. Mm. You don't want people to go away and say, wow, that person, he's an amazing communicator. Yeah. Just make it simple. Like just teach the Bible, just teach the Bible. You'll be amazed at how impacting your ministry can be if you just teach the Bible. Yeah. And if you're not a pastor, just read the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Just read it, study it. Right? <laughs> Cause you'll be impressed about how much it'll change your life. It really, really will. It's an anchor. It gives you stability it's been the biggest influence on my life and I'm sure on yours as well, Jeff. So yeah. yeah. Well, as always, we so appreciate, appreciate you listening. Uh, and we would very much appreciate you sharing. Um, if you want to leave five-star reviews on our Apple podcasts, um, if you want to share this on your Facebook or on Instagram, we would so, so, so appreciate your help in spreading this so that way we can help encourage and, and share the resource, but we hope you have an amazing uh, week have an amazing day and we'll see you guys next time.